And then, uh, and then we'll see. I got some things I'm going to share just from my heart. And then if uh, we don't get to the message, then we'll get to it in the series. Hey, so we've got uh, the Wave Church does an amazing conference, great church in Virginia Beach, and they put on a, a, a world-class conference every year. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to live so close to have access. People travel from all over the world, and, uh, and we go to a lot of their events. And so uh, this year, just for budgeting reasons, we had, had, had redirected some monies in different ways, so we didn't buy the tickets that we normally do. And, uh, but they sent us 20 free tickets to just to bless us. And uh, don't you just love that when churches do that? Step in moments of generosity. So, so I've got 10 that are here that, that if, if you think that you could go, even if you think you could just go for one day, that's okay. The evening sessions are free. It starts Wednesday night, but then it's all day Thursday, all day Friday. So the, the sessions on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, those sessions are free. But the daytime sessions, you have to have one of these armbands. I'm, I'm, these are free. So if you, JJ is already, so there are nine, nine free tickets. And so if, um, if they, I'm just going to put them up here. Uh, April will be here at the end of the service. And if you're interested in one of these, just at the end of the service, you can come and, uh, and get one. But we don't want those to go to, those to, go to waste. So it's going to be amazing. I think Jesus Culture is doing music this year. Stephen Furtick is going to be there. And uh, just, just phenomenal, phenomenal. And uh, so I hope that if, if, uh, if you have the, the time to go to that, you can, you can make that happen. So Hey, I, just, I want to share a few things. So on, on Friday, on Friday, I'm, I'm, I'm driving in the car, and, and, uh, and I feel like God speaks to me and says, Fred, what are, where are you praying for for the service this weekend? And, and, and it was one of those moments where I knew what really what God was saying was, you should be praying more for the service this weekend, right? <laughs> that, that prayer, it was if God was saying in a nice way, you're not praying enough. You're not asking big enough. You're not dreaming big enough. And so I felt like that was a significant moment. So I didn't want to answer too quick, right? Because I thought, you know, this is, this is a chance for me to really ask some big things. And, 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 and as I began to pray about what I was supposed to pray about, that uh, there's layers to prayer, as I began to pray about what I was supposed to pray about, I felt like it was, it was God was saying, Fred, you, you need to find some things that you're always praying for for the weekend services, that you're just, that every week that you're just, you're just lifting up these questions before me and you're bringing your petitions, right? In Philippians, it says, be careful for nothing or don't be anxious about anything, but through, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so I knew that I need a petition more uh, for these, these moments. And, uh, and so I, I really begin to think about five things that I want to pray for every weekend. And so I just, I want to just share those five things with you before we get into the message tonight, because I believe we're supposed to all be praying for these five things. And so I'm just saying to you, I don't pray enough for these services. I'm sure some of you aren't praying for these services and we've got to change. And I know if this room's going to change, I have to change. And so these are five things that, that I felt like, and because I have an alliteration addiction, I had to also, you know, put some, some symmetry to the, to the words. But the first thing I, be, I said, God, I want to pray that people are going to show up for our weekend services. 
My first prayer was a show-up prayer. Think about all the, what we're getting ready to do with the door hangers and the mailers. All the people that live in our city as spiritual orphans, that has got to change. I don't want to imagine my life without a church family. I don't want to imagine my life without a spiritual family. I don't, I don't want to imagine my life without having this together, what we, what we share. And so many people in our city, they don't have this. There's a lot of people in our city that, that they've made a vow of devotion to Christ, but they don't have heaven on earth because they live in isolation spiritually. There's a lot of people in our city that have never made a vow of devotion to Christ, and sometimes being in a setting like this can bring that moment to fruition to them. And so I just begin to pray this show-up prayer, just from Friday all last night through today at the office. And when I was at the office today, I, I picked about five families, that I and, and one is here, and I'm not going to point them out because I don't want to make them feel conspicuous, but I, when they came in through the door, I, I almost fell over, right? I picked about five families. I, we haven't seen these families in years, God, and I just began to pray that they were going to, tonight was going to be a night that they would show up. And as I was out there before the service at the Welcome Center, one of those families came walking right through the door. I, I kid you not. We should have smelling salt in our usher ministry, right? We should have smelling salt. And so when I went, I couldn't wait to tell. I said, you're not going to believe what I was just praying just moments ago for, for that you all would be here tonight. And here they are. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, and so, so, so during the communion time, because, you know, it's important that I'm doing what I'm asking you to do. I'm saying, God, you know, what are some things, what's something I need to put down and, and something I need to pick up? And I felt like God spoke to me. You've got to put down doubt and you've got to pick up faith. Because I shouldn't be surprised like I was today when that family walked in the door, right? Should, we should be excited. We should celebrate when God answers our prayer. But at some point, and I'm asking, right, I'm, I'm talking to myself, am I ever going to turn the corner where I'm shocked that God answers prayer, right? Am I going to turn the corner where I can say, of course God's going to do things that are unexplainable. Of course he's been orchestrating people's schedules all week, and then it just lines up with our prayer. The sovereignty of God is just remarkable, and I hope that you're going to begin to pick up a prayer called show up just every day, just at some point in your day. So, Father, I pray that people are going to show up, people that you've invited. Not, not be, we're not trying to grow this church. That's not what we're about. We want to grow people, and people will not grow if they're not in his presence and if they're not in community. It will not happen. We want to be, there's lots of great churches in this area, amazing churches, but we know that this church has been set apart by God for some people, and we want to reach those. We don't want to reach the ones that are supposed to be somewhere else, but we want to reach the ones that are supposed to be here, and we want to see them show up. The second thing I began to pray was, is, it was, was what I call a serve-up prayer. I, just, I was praying for the leaders of our church, and if you're not praying for the leaders of our church. I don't pray for the leaders of our church enough. I hope that you're praying with me. There's going to be a renewed sense of commitment this week to say, I'm going to pray for the leaders of our church. And I, and I call it serve up because that's what it means to be a leader, is that you've got to serve beyond the, the tasks and responsibilities that you've been given. As a leader, you just can't do the bare minimum. You've got to inspire people. You've got to bring vision to the moment. You've got to step into the moment and where, where, there is, where, where there's responsibility, but realizing it's not just about the responsibility, it's about also the people that are there. It's about setting a pace and an example for fervency and passion. It's this idea of what I'm called serving up. Now, we have an amazing leadership culture already in our church, but I just want to see that thing keep growing and keep pushing past. And, and that's the other thing about leadership. You should never stop growing as a leader, right? We, there's moments where we might plateau, but that plateau is just to get us ready for the next climb. It's to get us ready for the next climb. So we want to have a serve up prayer for the leaders of our church. The, the third one was this in regards to generosity. I'm calling it a give up prayer. Not that you're going to quit. Don't get me right. But, but for all of us in our generosity, there's another step. 
There's just another step that God's going to ask us to take. And that, that, so it's, it's, I'm calling it a give up prayer, a give up prayer. We share probably a couple of times a year extensively on just the finances of the church. And in the fall, we talked about how about 25% of both the campus here in Newport News and in Williamsburg practice the biblical concept of tithing that we believe in, that all of our leaders are expected to walk in. But only 25%. And, and I joked with you in the fall that if we did a survey of how many people that call City Life Church their home that believe that tithing is biblical, I think that more than 50% of the people would say yes to that. But only 25% of our church walks in that. And so what we're saying is whatever the next step is for you, if you don't participate financially, then, then take a step to participate in some way. And if you participate in some way, then maybe your next step is consistency. And, and then, then it maybe it's priority percentage giving that's routine, and then maybe it's stepping in to the biblical concept of tithing. Whatever your next step is, Let's all just say, I want to give up to that next place that God's going to call me to in a place of generosity. Now, these, these last two, the last two, I like, the, I like all of them, but I really like these last two. The, 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 the fourth one is, is, is what I'm calling a shut-up prayer. It's a shut-up prayer. Not, not for you to shut up, right, but for the devil to shut up. That, that sometimes I think, and myself included, pre preaching to myself tonight, that we forget the spiritual authority that God has given to us. We forget the spiritual authority. That message that Steve Ruggiero, while we were on vacation, preached on spiritual warfare. If you've not heard it, you need to listen to that podcast. It was powerful, a powerful message. But there are lies that have, the devil's been whispering in your ear. There are, are lies that you've bought into, that, that, that he has said to you sometimes through other people, people of influence in your life. And so all day yesterday and today, and in the office later, I just, I just began to pray that the 90 minutes that we're in here together, that the devil's going to have to shut up. He's going to have to shut up. That there's going to be clarity of thought only for the voice of God on this property every weekend for here and also for Williamsburg. In, 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 uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the apostle Paul writes that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers on high. He writes, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how we've got to tear down strongholds, arguments that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And it talks about bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. I remember as a new follower of Christ when I was 23 in, in 1990 and then in 91, I remember reading that verse for the very first time and thought that was a powerful revelation for me. I need to bring every thought that I have into the captivity of Christ. And so I'm praying a shut up prayer for you, for your family, for your kids, for me, that the Holy Spirit is going to be the loudest, most dominant voice in our lives in these 90 minutes that we have together on this problem. Maybe that will get some of you to church on time. Come on, that you can get to that place, right? Where, 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 where you're, 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 you're under a hedge of protection. Come on. Uh, as the body of Christ. And so, right, so we're doing, I'm going to give you the last one. We're doing show up, serve up, give up, shut up, right? Because this is how a preacher remembers stuff. They have to rhyme or sometimes start with the first letter, right? I have an alliteration addiction. But then the last one is just in keeping with this series. It's a rise up prayer. It's a rise up prayer that the Holy Spirit is going to rise up in all of our lives. And, and, and I think we're going to get to some of it tonight. We're not going to get to all of it tonight. We might not make it to this quote, but a favorite quote to mine about the, uh, of the Holy Spirit is by Randy Hurst. He's a, a, a theologian in the Assemblies of God. And, and, uh, and he says that when you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't get more of God. He gets more of you. 
because you get all of who God is at your moment of salvation when you, when you, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ and you take your first spiritual breath. For, for some of us, myself included, the Holy Spirit, we need him to rise up in our lives. We, we, we need to make more room for him. We, we need to be more obedient to him. We, we need for him not to have to fight so hard to, to, to lead us and guide us. Uh, so pray, Juice is going to be preaching next weekend in our series, so I don't know if he's going to be preaching on that, but I thought that, that re, 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 the, the whole idea of remembering uh, 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 things of our past, that sometimes we want new revelation and really what God's saying, no, you just need to walk more faithfully in the revelation you already have, and there's deeper revelation in the knowledge that you already have, and that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to us talking to us. I got a phone call from somebody in our church just today, and I'm hoping they're going to be sharing in a couple of weeks about just something that God began to speak to them. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us in our times of Bible reading, in our times of worship, just driving around running errands like I was doing in the busyness of life that I know we can't get away from that. That's part of living in this Western culture that we're a part of. But even in those places, the Holy Spirit breaks in and he speaks to us. Jesus talks about the, the children of God recognizing his voice and, and that I hope part of this series that all of us come out of it with a greater sense of recognition to moments where the Holy Spirit is rising up inside of us to speak to us. Sometimes it's to empower us. Sometimes it's to change us and shape us. Sometimes it's to do something supernatural, which we're going to talk about in just a couple of minutes. So Father, just as we step into our message this weekend, or at least some of it, Father, for this little, if we want to just call it a, a, a little sermonette here on prayer. Father, find us faithful. Find us faithful. We know that there's a lot that you're going to do through your sovereignty that we will never have to ask for. But we cannot read your word and come away from it without being challenged to know and to trust and believe that there's a lot that you're not going to do unless we ask. We want to be an asking church. We want to be a praying church. We want to be a church that brings our petitions and our supplications before you. We want to pray as if we're informing you about something that you did not know. We want to pray with the kind of faith and fervor as if we're bringing it to your attention because that's what we see modeled for us in Scripture. Father, we want to pray with an expectation and a faith that you can do all things. And that when we see these prayers answered, God, that we're not going to be surprised, but we are going to celebrate in the goodness of who you are in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. We're going to pray more, amen? All right, praying more. All right, we're in a series entitled The Holy Spirit, and, and we're in it all summer. It's probably going to carry us into September uh, a little bit. And uh, so I, let me just give you just a little bit of recapping, and then we're going to get into some of tonight's, and then what I don't get to, we'll push it to not next weekend, but the weekend after that. And so this is in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Now, we've talked about that. You can get it on our podcast. It, it's basically saying that our, that, that our eternity, it's up to us. Jesus has already done the work that he did on the cross. It's up, up, us, up to us to accept 
his forgiveness. And then it says, our Lord come. Now this is an interesting phrase, and it's really the, the phrase that, that is kind of uh, defining the series for us here in Newport News. It's the phrase Maranatha. And in the Greek, as it is so often in many languages, words are, are, are multiple words pushed together. And so Maranatha is a joining of two words, and it could be either the joining of the top two words, or it could be the joining of the second two words. And if you join it as the first two words and put the dash in there, it means our Lord comes. It means Jesus is coming back, which we know he, when, 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 when he left with the disciples in John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, I'm going to come back so that you can be with me where I am also. And But then if you look at it as the second two words, it means our Lord has come. It means the Savior of the world has already come. Jesus is the Messiah. We're not waiting for another. And so what we're sharing in this series is that we don't believe as a church we're supposed to pick between which one it is, that this is the genius of God. He created a word that means two things, that Jesus has come and he's coming again. And that's the message of the gospel, that Jesus has come so that we might be forgiving, given, and he's coming again, that we might be with him for all eternity in the heavens. And as a church and as devoted followers of Christ, we have a Maranatha calling that's on our lives, that, that God wants us to go and bring that message to the world, and that we will never be effective in bringing that revelation to the hearts of other people without the work of the Holy Spirit. It cannot happen in the natural. The Bible says that no one can call Jesus Lord but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're just saying as a church, as we go out like into these communities and neighborhoods, how many of you are nervous about the idea of, of door hangers because you're a naturally introverted person like me? All right, come on, how about some authenticity here? Oh, I know some of you, and I know your hand's not up, right? I know, right? So the Great Commission, it does not say in the Great Commission. You can read it for yourself at the end of Matthew and of Mark. All you extroverts go into all the world baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And all you introverts have been given to intercessory prayer during moments of evangelism. That's not how it reads in my Bible, right? Now, I, I'm a naturally introverted person too, and that might su surprise you, but, but, but this is easy for me, uh, uh, the, the, the science of, of personalities, because this for me is like a conversation with one person. That, that's what it, preaching and teaching, that's why introverts oftentimes do well in moments like this. The, the, but, but it's after the service when, when, when I'm turned loose into this crowd, right? Where Vanessa is, she's like, I'm going to talk to every single person here before I go home, Right? That, that my personality is I want to have a, a, a meaningful conversation with just a, a few people. So this idea of going through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, my personality is not naturally given to that. But the life that I live is not supposed to be based on my personality. It's supposed to be based on God's Word. So I'm just pressing you that this, if, if, if we're going to pray a show-up prayer, the invitation has got to come. It's got to come. Read it in Romans 9. Read it in Romans 9. Many of us know the verse that says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. But then it goes on to talk about how this idea, they can't call on someone they don't know about, and they won't know if no one tells them, and, and no one's going to tell them if people aren't sent. So we're sending ourselves that we want to walk faithfully in the great commission that we've been given to bring the gospel. And so I'm just telling you, if you call this your church home, mark those dates on your calendar. It's a Maranatha event. 
So part of this journey in, in asking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about what is Pentecost about and, and, and why do we use this word Pentecostal and what does that mean? So we're trying to bring some clarity to that because a lot of people, I would say, have, have, have brought a meaning to that definition that God never intended. So this is my definition of what it means to be Pentecostal. It means that we have an unshakable belief that God still does the impossible and sometimes he wants to do supernatural things through us. Just as he did 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, no longer exclusive. Now, I talked about exclusivity last week, so if you want to learn about that, you can get it on the podcast. But the Feast of Pentecost was one of the primary Jewish feasts that was given by God to Moses in the Old Testament. Passover, one of the ones that we're really familiar with, which was really a prophetic foretelling of communion, and, and this idea that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Pentecost was the feast that came 50 days after Passover every year. And so what you read about and what we celebrate in Easter happened during Passover. And, and then 50 days later is where you get to Acts 1 and 2, and we're going to read in some of that tonight. And that was during the Feast of Pentecost. And so 50 days, 50 days later. And I believe that there was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the birthing of the church because God was saying to us that you need this kind of power operating in your life if you're going to reach the world with the message that I turned into the world in Passover. If the Passover message of Jesus' forgiveness is going to, is going to really take root in people's hearts, there has to be a working of the, of the Holy Spirit in order for that to happen. And so we believe in Pentecost and we believe those kinds of encounters are for today. So Acts 2, 3 through 4. Now, I picked several texts that we worked through that talked about how God will reveal himself supernaturally in the world. And then I stopped at this one because I knew we were going to pick up with it tonight. And then in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to really get into it in, in greater detail. Again, we'll see how far we get tonight. But in Acts 2, 3 through 4, it says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting text because we know in the Gospel of John, in the, I believe it's the 20th chapter, it, it talks about how Jesus was with the disciples. It was a post-resurrection experience. And it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that that was their, their moment of salvation. That's the moment that they took their first spiritual breath. And all of who God was was given to them in that moment. But yet here in Acts 2, we see something else is happening. It says Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. We use the word spiritual language here at City Life. It says, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, last week I talked a little bit about how sometimes uh, uh, people do weird things in churches, right? If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've seen it, I've seen it, and so we joked about that a little bit. And I want to just talk about it a, a, a few more minutes tonight, is that, that it's important that we're not naive, that sometimes people do odd things in church to draw attention to themselves. It's not, not being critical, not being mean-spirited, but let's just not be naive. And, and part of church leaders' responsibility is to operate in what the Bible says, discernment, and to help make a decision as to whether or not the person that, that is saying that God is moving in them, is it really God moving in them, or is it really just them moving because they want attention? 
It's the reason why the book of 1 Corinthians is even in the Bible, because there was a church in this town of Corinth, and as you read through 1 Corinthians, you read that the church was just always out of order. And one of the reasons why they were out of order is because the leadership of that church was not operating in discernment to help make a distinction between what, what, would, what were the people that were just trying to draw attention to themselves and what were genuine moves of God. Now, I'm not saying that God is not sometimes strange, because if you read the Bible, you know he does some pretty crazy stuff. Like just last week, we talked about that amazing story of teleportation, right, where Philip is, 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 is teaching the Ethiopian eunuch about Isaiah, and then he disappears and reappears somewhere else. I don't know about you, but that fits into my definition of strange. It fits into my definition of odd. But, but for me, one of the, my measures is if if it's odd, that's not my measure, because I know sometimes God does odd things. My question is, is this thing that's happening, does it draw people closer to God and into the church, or does it drive people out of the church and further away from God? Because in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks specifically about spiritual language, which, which we believe in, and, and that's one of the reasons why we teach on it a few times a year, because we, we, I just feel like there's not a lot of great teaching out there, and so we're trying to help with that. And, and, and what Paul talks about is this gift of spiritual language, if it's done out of order and in inappropriate ways, the gift that was intended to draw people in becomes something that drives them out. In 1 Corinthians 14, you can read it yourself, and he says, don't be that church. And so what we're saying is, we don't want to be that church. And so if God's moving, sometimes it can be odd to us because it's unfamiliar to us. But if it's truly the work of God, something deep inside of us resonates with the truth that is there. Now, one of the reasons why sometimes it can be strange is because sometimes there are unique expressions of worship based, based on our ethnicities. Different cultures have different norms for, for worship. Can I just say, we're going to be a diverse congregation. We, we are a diverse congregation. We want to continue to be more diverse as a congregation, and we want to be careful that we're not just assuming that that's not from God because it's not familiar to us. It might not be familiar to us because it just wasn't part of the church that we grew up in. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and I'm telling you, there's a lot that's unfamiliar to me, right? But I want everything, everything that God has. And we want to be a church that makes the distinction between what's really of God and what's really born out of the brokenness of this person. This, this is the other tragedy. This is the other tragedy. If when people are trying to draw attention to themselves, if out of fear, especially as Christian leaders, we're not serving up, we draw back from that moment and don't bring some teaching, not only does it affect the church at large, but we've missed an opportunity to lead that person. Because if a person is trying to draw attention to themselves in that moment, there is a brokenness that is there that needs healing and restoration so that they don't have to manufacture the attention that God and the body of Christ already wants to lavish them with. If we don't step up in our own journey as leaders in helping people and bringing order, that which was supposed to be a magnet becomes a wedge that drives separation. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Pentecost. So I'm going to read a little bit out of Acts 1, and then I'm going to get into 2. It says, in my first book, so this is Luke writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He also gave us the gospel of Luke. 
If, you've, if, you're, if you're looking for something to read in the Bible, a, a great read is to start in Luke and then stop at the end of Acts. That's a really nice chunk of the coming of Christ and the birthing of the, of the church, and it's the same writer, so it has a sense of flow, and I, I recommend the New Living Translation. It says, in my first book, it's referring to the Gospel of Luke, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. So, right, he died during Passover. He died during Passover. He, he, he raised himself from the dead that Sunday, and then he appeared for about 40 days. He had 40 days of post-resurrection experience, the Bible tells us. And then he was taken up. It's, it's Christ's ascension after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now, during the 40 days, there it is, after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's where we get the terminology from, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Greek is the word baptizo. It means to be made fully wet. And I like that word. I like how God connected that word to this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Again, because you get all of who God is at the moment you make a vow of devotion to Christ, but he might not have fully all of who you are. And so this, this Holy Spirit baptism is about the Spirit of God rising up inside of us for the first time in a new way, washing over every part of who we are. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? Because they were still convinced he had a political work to do, but his work wasn't a political work, it was a spiritual work. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about telling people about me everywhere. You see how the connection is, connection is here with this Maranatha mandate that we've been given to bring the gospel? He's saying you need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life if you're going to go around telling people about me throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Don't you love that? Because that's what I would have been doing, right? I mean, you just see this person, he's raised himself from the dead, he, and, and then all of a sudden he just begins to rise up into the heavens. I'm, I'm going to stand and stare for a little while myself. And so here these angels come and say, hey, you have got to stop standing and staring, and you've got to start going and doing. And this is many of our own problems and our own journeys. We, we spend so much time standing and staring about what's happened in our lives as devoted followers of Christ, we forget that there's more work to be done. Standing and staring is good to the point that inspires me to go and do. Jesus had been taken from you into heaven, but somebody, but someday he will return from heaven, right? That's the other definition of Maranatha. He will return from heaven in the same way that he went. Now, I'm going to stop there, and if you were to keep reading, that's the, the, where they uh, uh, replaced uh, Judas Iscariot and brought in a, another disciple. All right, so let me jump down to verse 1 of chapter 2, and then I want to talk about this a little bit, and then I want to share a little bit of my own story, and then we'll call it a night. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, 
and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, I'm reading you all of this text because the text is instructive. It's not just the story to give us history, although it is that. It is a, it's giving us information that can form beliefs and doctrines and understanding. And so, so, so we know when it says that, that Jesus' ascension happened at the end of a 40-day period after, the, after Passover, and then it just jumps. God expects us to do some little bit of research and a little bit of study, and you got to do a little bit of math. So when you thought you said to your math teacher, I'm never going to have to do math. I'm in English. Do you have to do math when you're, if you're going to be a Christian when you're reading the Bible? Are you with me? It's just a little bit of math, but you got to do some. So when it says at the, on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after Passover, all right? 50 days after Passover. If Jesus was, was appearing for 40 days, then we know there was a 10 day time period between Jesus' ascension and this moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, how that adds up? And so what we know is that these, this group of people have been praying for 10 days for God to fulfill the promise that Jesus said would come. And he said to them, don't go. Don't try to go and start this work of evangelism. Don't gotta, you, you can't go and try to start doing the, the work of the Great Commission until this moment takes place because you're not going to be able to do it of your own strength and power. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem because it was a time of one of the feasts. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. Come on, they showed up. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, I think this is an important nuance in the text. The Bible tells us that they were speaking other languages, meaning that they, they were speaking languages they didn't know, but it doesn't tell us the languages that were being spoken. What it says is that the people heard their own language. I think there was a supernatural moment of interpretation. I think they began speaking out in spiritual language, and then God supernaturally took that, took that and enabled people to hear the language of their own tongue. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And Ga Galileans were fishermen and farmers, which means they weren't an educated uh, group of people that lived in that community. So they're saying there's no way these people could be doing this. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here there were Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and the province of Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Isn't that awesome? That's what they heard, about the wonderful things that God has done. God wants to use you to tell people about the wonderful things that he's done in your life. They stood there amazed, and they stood there perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. I love verse 13, because see, there's always other people in the crowd. There's always other, no matter where you go, there's always going to be other people. The other people in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. 
Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles. The transformation in his life is remarkable, isn't it? He goes from the coward who rejects Christ to the one who God uses to deliver the first sermon of the first church. He says, listen carefully to all of you, and then he goes on and shares. I love this story in Scripture because I remember reading it when, 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 when I made a vow of devotion to Christ and I had been around the church my whole life and my parents were by then a part of an Assemblies of God church and I had moved back home and was living with them trying to save up money for graduate school and, and so I would go to church with them just out of respect and so these kinds of teachings in this kind of text, it wasn't, it wasn't new for me, it wasn't foreign to me, the information of it wasn't. But when I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, one, one of my very first prayers was, God, I want everything that you have. I, I've lived my whole life just, just, just holding you at arm's length. I want to stop that. I just, if it's in here, I want it in my life. I want it all. No matter how strange, no matter how unfamiliar it might be to me, I want to experience everything that you have for me. And darn it, I've got some catching up to do because I've wasted the first 23 years of my life. You with me? I, 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 want, I want to sprint at least this first decade. I, I want to make up for lost time. And, and if some of you have made a vow of devotion later in Christ, you can relate to that emotion, right? You just, you, you're just, you're ang I was angry with myself that I had wasted so much of, of my life. And so it was in March of 91, we were at our, uh, a Sunday morning service and there was a guest speaker and they were having him come back for a Sunday night uh, service and, and he was going to teach and preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and when, when they made that announcement, I, I knew the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Fred, you, you need to be at that service because, because God's going to answer your prayer, part of your prayer for everything tonight. I, I just had such an expectation. Can I just tell you, I faced some of the most crazy temptations that whole afternoon. You with me? Because the devil does not want us to, to, to have these encounters that revolutionize and change our lives. It was like a, a battle every hour. Things that, things that I thought I had already gotten free from, from this life of debauchery that I had lived. Just It was like one temptation was, was waiting for me around every corner. So I did a lot of shut up prayers that, that afternoon. You with me? And, and so I came that night for that service and, and he preached and taught a lot about what we've been preaching and teaching on this weekend, last weekend, that we're going to pick up the weekend after probably some of what Juice is going to talk about next weekend. And, and when they invited the worship team to come back up, they had people come forward. And I, I couldn't get up there quick enough. I was the first person up there. And I didn't care if I was going to be the only one in that church service that went up for prayer at the end of that service. I just didn't care. Can I just tell you, I, I, I need more of that in my life, and I trust that you do too. The moments where God is saying, I want, to, I want to meet you in a place. At some point, we just have to say, God, I, I want to meet you there too. I want to meet you there too. For, for some of you in our services, when we open up the altars or coming forward, I know being conspicuous can feel hard in our humanity, but something inside of us has got to say, God, if being seen is what's necessary for me to get everything that you have, I don't care if the world knows. And so I was up there, and, 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 uh, and, and leaders in the church, people that I knew, and this, this one elder that I had tremendous respect for, Charlie Bevels, and I uh, love Charlie Bevels, and, and uh, he was a former FBI agent. He was about 6'5", a massive man, but one of the most quiet, gentle men you'd ever want to meet, which was a really good thing. And, uh, and, uh, he was, and I remember him coming up and standing behind me, and I, I recognized his voice, and he just began to pray for me. And, but he didn't 
touch me. He didn't, he didn't touch me in, in any way. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, I felt like these hands that were bigger than life were just resting on my shoulders. But I knew they weren't, I knew they weren't Charlie's. I, I, just, I, I knew this was, this was, for me, it felt like Jesus was standing there with me. Now, I don't know if you've ever had experiences like that. I hope that you do at some point in your life. But I knew that, that, that Jesus, the one who died on the cross for my sins, and I gave him a lot to die for, was, was standing there for me. And, and I felt his head. There was a warmth that, that, that came on my shoulders that was indescribable. It was like a warmth that I've, I've never experienced any other time in my life. And all of a sudden, my heart felt so full for love for God. My, it was just, I felt like I might pop here, right? I might, this might be the end of my day. Like somebody might come here 20 years from now and say, what's this little dark area on the carpet? Well, that's where that guy just spontaneously combusted in that service back in March of 1991. And, and in, in that moment, I wanted to celebrate the goodness. The band was up there playing and they were singing some song and from the 1980s, probably even though it was the 90s because that's what we do as churches, but not here at the City Life Church. Come on. And so, so, so they're up there singing and playing and, and, I, and I just, I want, I want to declare God's goodness. And all of a sudden in that moment, I, I, I experienced something that many of you have experienced in your own life. I couldn't find the words to say. And, and, and we've all said that many times in our life, right? In moments of great excitement, sometimes moments in great, in great tragedy, we just say, I can't find the words. I believe, and we're going to talk about it more in a couple of weeks. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and then we're just going to do a song as we close. But I believe that God gave the gift of spiritual language to the world because he wanted to say to you and me, you never have to be speechless in times of worship and prayer. I want you to always to be able to let those emotions that are filling your heart, I want you to be able to express those things. And that, for me, is the crux of the idea of what is spiritual language about. It's so that we can pray and worship to God in a way that is unencumbered by human intellect and earthly language. And, and, and you might say, well, Fred, if I don't understand what I'm saying, how can it help? You've got to come back in two weeks because I'm going to hit that question. We're going to do five questions. I'm going to do the five biggest questions that in more than a decade of ministry that I get from people about spiritual language in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and my encouragement to you tonight, maybe you're visiting, you're not from here, and this is your only chance to be here, is that you would let a prayer begin to rise up in your heart that says, God, I just, I want it all. I want everything that you have for me. Whether or not I understand it, whether or not it makes sense to me, whether or not other people at some point in my past has said to me, you shouldn't believe that, that something inside of you is going to say, God, if it's in this book, I want it in my life. Stand with me. Two students. Come on, let's do it. Just come on. Come on, I forgot two students. Can't forget students. We got two students that are going to share real quick and we're going to sing this song. All right, Philip. Uh, this was my third year going to camp, and uh, every year there's always a moment that affects me personally. Uh, and one of our night services, our guest speaker, Andrew Damasio, said that everybody has mountaintop experiences, but our work is in the valley. 
And I took that personally because I've always struggled reaching my friends, reaching my teammates, reaching the people around me. So that night I went up for prayer. And as soon as I got prayer, uh, I God immediately put me to work. I had spiritual words for friends and people that I didn't even know. And uh, just I, I was happy and blessed with it, but I was overwhelmed with it. Uh, so I went up to Juice and I was just kind of running everything by him. And uh, he told me to get my journal and write it down so that way I'll be able to remember uh, when the moment comes and I'll be able to help someone else. Hi, my name's Ariel. Um, this is my first year at camp. And one of the altar calls I went up to was spreading God's word at uh, our, my school. And I always had like a fear of people I love, like families and friends never hearing about God or going to heaven. And at camp, God told me that if I love them, I would share their word or take them to church. And one of the leaders who prayed over me, Tara, she was, um, oh, she told me, well, God told me that before I spread his word, I needed to open up to him and stop like the walls in my heart from bad relationships with like family or friends to let it go and open up to him and I did and it was pretty good so yeah let's let's, let's pray for them and then we're going to sing this song and then and then we'll let you go Father, we thank you for this next generation. We, we know that these two that are standing here, they, they, it's not just, they're not just standing for themselves. They're standing on behalf of an entire generation that has a Maranatha calling on their lives. And so just as they both shared, even, even tonight, they both shared about wanting to, 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 to be more obedient, to have greater courage and greater faith in moments where you might ask them to step out and, and, and share with people, whether it's a stranger or whether it's somebody that they love, that, Father, that there's going to be a, a stirring of your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit's going to rise up inside of these two and of this entire generation, that they are going to bring this Maranatha message to our world in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.